College Basketball Insider. Some news and notes from around the world of college basketball. In-studio correspondent for WFAN and CBS Sports Radio. Attention please to John Rothstein. Please report to St. The Insider's Insider. Joining us now with his thoughts and to break it down, John Rothstein. It's College Hoops Today with John Rothstein. Let's put the women and children to bed and go looking for dinner. John Rothstein here on the College Hoops Today podcast later in this show. We will be joined by New Mexico head coach Paul Weir as we dissect, digest, and offer some perspective on the Mountain West Conference from soup to nuts. This will be our final edition of our conference breakdowns for the offseason. I want to remind you to subscribe to the College Hoops Today podcast on iTunes. We want to be your Bible for the college basketball season and beyond. We are the only college basketball podcast coming to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. Also want to remind you to check out the College Hoops Today fan page on Facebook. Give us a like, give us a review, let us know what you think of the product we're bringing to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. And also, send me your Mountain West-related questions on Twitter. I'll get to them later in this podcast. I'm at John Rothstein. That's John, J-O-N. Today's episode of the College Hoops Today podcast is brought to you by Geico. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. All it takes is 15 minutes to find out if you could save 15% or more on car insurance. And Geico offers coverage for more than just car insurance. Got a motorcycle? Geico's got you covered. Got an RV? Covered. Got a boat? Covered. How about homeowners or renters insurance? You bet Geico's got you covered. Go to Geico.com today and see how much you could save. That's Geico.com. So the Mountain West Conference, a conference that just five and a half years ago had five teams in the NCAA tournament begins the 18-19 season with a lot of momentum. Why is there a lot of momentum? Because last spring in the Mountain West Conference Tournament, we saw the Mountain West go back in time to a time that they were a multi-bid league. And that is what I think everybody had hoped to see in this conference in terms of people related to this conference over the past couple years. With San Diego State getting hot and winning the Mountain West Conference Tournament, they put the Mountain West in a position where it had more than one team in the NCAA Tournament. And obviously the other team that went to the NCAA Tournament was Nevada. Nevada goes to the Sweet 16, had that unbelievable comeback win against Cincinnati, and then we saw something that simply does not happen anymore in college basketball. We saw Nevada have three fifth-year seniors, Caleb and Cody Martin and Jordan Caroline, not just go through the NBA draft process and opt to come back to school when they could have went and played professionally somewhere and started their professional clock. They did not become grad transfers. They did not opt to graduate and then play their final year of college basketball elsewhere because Nevada has a chance right now under Eric Musselman to be a top 10 team for the entire year and have a legitimate chance at making a run to the final four. Now, why do we say that? You've got the big three back. You add a McDonald's All-American and Jordan Brown. You add several key transfers who sat out last year, and you had a grad transfer in Trey Porter who averaged 13-6 and in Old Dominion. This, to me, has a chance to be a multi-bid league once again. I'm talking about the Mountain West because Nevada is going to give every other team in this league a chance to knock off a top-10 opponent with regularity. And if the Mountain West Conference is going on an annual basis to get more than one team in the NCAA tournament, it needs the brands in this league, New Mexico, UNLV, San Diego State, to be great. 
San Diego State got a chance to return to relevancy last March by winning the Mountain West Conference Tournament. We'll see if they can replicate it. Obviously, again, in 1819, we'll see if UNLV can turn a corner under Marvin Mendes. But New Mexico is interesting because New Mexico is a team that, again, had dominant runs under Steve Alford. Won 29 games, were a three seed in the 2013 NCAA tournament before Alford took the UCLA job. And has really, since the 2014 NCAA tournament, been off the radar nationally. Now, Paul Weir, who's going to join us in a couple of minutes, proved last year that he could coach by taking New Mexico from a situation where they were off the radar to a couple of plays away from playing in the NCAA tournament. But Paul Weir also proved by taking the Eric Musselman transfer model that he could recruit. He's got three high major imports set to be eligible this year. Vance Jackson from UConn, Jaquan Lyle from Ohio State, and Carlton Bragg, who is at both Kansas and Arizona State. Which of those transfers are most ready to contribute next year for New Mexico? And does Weir think the Lobos have a chance to push Nevada at the top of the league? We'll find out when Paul Weir, the head coach of the New Mexico Lobos, joins the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein coming up next. New Mexico made a last-minute push towards the NCAA tournament picture last March thanks to an outstanding coaching job by Paul Weir. The Lobos again trending upwards starting the 18-19 season, and the aforementioned head coach of the Lobos, Paul Weir, makes his inaugural appearance on the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein right now. And I think there's one thing, Coach, that everybody in Albuquerque and beyond wants to know, and I think you've really ignored it in the media throughout your first season as head coach in the Lobos. Will the sweater over the shirt and tie become a regular wardrobe move moving forward? <laughs> that's a good question. I didn't know where you were going with that one. Uh, I, that's a great question. Uh, I just kind of fell into it. It was coaches versus cancer and uh, wore it with, with the runners and uh, really liked it and just kind of went with it the rest of the way. It was kind of fun, but I haven't put a ton of time into uh, – thinking what my wardrobe is going to be like this year. So I think we'll just kind of play it by ear and see where it goes here in the fall. Well, and that sounds like the type of mindset you guys had in mid-February last year. You're 12-14 and 14 on February 10th after a loss at Air Force, and then you win seven games in a row and come within inches of going to the NCAA tournament, losing to San Diego State in the Mountain West Conference tournament title game. What changed after that loss at Air Force? You know, we were three and eight at at one point early in the year, and that was probably the low, low point. Uh, And I think as the rest of kind of December and January evolved, we were getting better. We had, we had one setback and a really, you know, bad loss at, at Boise. Um, But I think along that way from, from three and eight, you know, we were slowly making these, these little strides that, Maybe people didn't see, but they were starting to fill up a little bit, and I felt like things were turning. And then at that point forward, as we kind of got into conference play and and then down the stretch, so many of those kind of little things happened along the way that our team was just in a really good place, playing really hard, bought into each other, bought into me, uh, and we we became a pretty tough out. Uh, We were far from – 
the the most talented or the biggest or or whatever kind of teams we were going up against. But I thought when it came to just a, an overall team camaraderie and a work ethic and a, and a buy into what we were doing, we felt like that was that was in a really good place. And it was a it was a fun stretch run stretch run for sure. Uh, would have liked six more minutes back on the clock, but you got to tip your cap to, to San Diego State. They were a great team and, and proved it in the in the championship game. What was your message to your players in the locker room after the loss to San Diego State? It was really tough. I, I, I um, you know, whenever you're a, a coach or a parent or a teacher or whatever you may be, you're always trying to impart life lessons or or values into these, you know, the young people that you're in charge of and all year long I was really just trying to um, teach them what I thought made somebody successful and the values that went into that Um, and and that's really all we did all I was about all I really am about and to watch these guys get the opportunity to kind of win games that really mattered in January and February and into March because of their commitment to that was really rewarding for me. I think it was rewarding for them as well that, you know, sometimes those values will overcome maybe a lack of what other skills or proficiencies other people may have. But as long as you work really hard and do it the right way and you're unselfish and committed and humble, you can accomplish good things, you know, even if no one's ever really told you that before. And I say all that because that's really all I told them that, for their sake, I would have loved to have had them win that last game to really, you know, cement that idea. But I really wouldn't want, you know, one game to eradicate all the months of, of work and progress and, and growth that they showed and, and hopefully allow them to see that those values really do count and they really can help you. So that was really all, all the all the post-game message was. New Mexico head coach Paul Weir joining the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. Lobos, again, with some momentum entering the 18-19 season. Paul, you know, you played a very competitive game against a very good TCU team in November, and I was really impressed with, you know, your team's purpose and the style of play being high-octane and very exciting. For you, where did you adopt that style, and why do you think it's been so successful for you, obviously, in your short time as a head coach? Yeah, I would say I first got immersed into it. Um, my, my first ever coaching job in college basketball was at Northwestern State University, and, and I worked for a coach that sub five and five and played a lot of athletes and, 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 and played with an incredible amount of speed. And that was where I first kind of got um, introduced to it. And then when I came to New Mexico State to work for Marvin Menzies, he came there was kind of a Rick Pitino philosophy. And we only really played that way for a few years when, when we first got there because Marvin kind of brought the Louisville philosophy with him and we did it. And I watched more Rick Pitino videos and, and games and everything than you could ever imagine. Um, I think everyone that's worked for him kind of goes out and, and tries to implement a lot of those same things. So I, I learned a lot in those few years. But as time went on, we got lucky with recruiting and started landing some really good big men, you know, that, that went on to be very successful players. And we, we adapted the philosophy to the bigs. But I never really forgot it. I never really forgot, A, my attraction to it, and then, B, just kind of my, my interest level in it. Um, then when I became a head coach uh, two years ago, 
sped up as much as we could with what we were doing um, and, and did a lot of those same philosophies. And then last summer when I got this job, I just kind of looked at the profile of what we had, not only where we were getting picked um, and maybe what we kind of had here in the cupboard, but it was also there was a lot of kind of logistical factors, I thought, with our elevation, uh, with the pit, um, with just trying to create a brand at University of New Mexico that might not be the same as everybody else in order to maybe make us exciting and recruiting and things like that. And then I basically set up a meeting with a guy named Kevin Mackey um, and, and, and flew him in here and spent a couple days with him and just felt when I added all that together, I added where we were picked, I added the logistics of where I was, the upside of where I thought we could go with it. And I, I started sort of putting all that together. I thought, you know what, like, I, I think this is something I really want to do here. And I think it could really help our program be successful. So went out and, and went ahead with it. And, you know, took a lot, stole a lot from a lot of people, whether it's Rick Pitino or Kevin Mackey or anyone else I kind of studied and then kind of made it our own in our own way and went out and embraced the philosophy. And, you know, there was a lot of up and downs for the first, half of the season, as you, as you noted, you know, the TCU game was great. Uh, other games weren't so great. You know, we were, we were competitive in some stretches and not in others as we were kind of getting used to it. The, the players for sure, they were all brand new to it, but then by, uh, by January, February, we became a pretty tough out and, and, and we, we got very comfortable in it. Uh, the players really adjusted to it. The staff adjusted to it. And, and I look forward to it to just being a long-term part of the branding of Lobo basketball, that this is kind of what you do when, when you come to play here. Well, and another thing that's been part of, obviously, the branding of the Mountain West Conference has been transfers. And we've seen Nevada become quickly one of the best teams in the country thanks to an influx of transfers. And it's been the same model that, you know, Fred Hoiberg used at Iowa State. And you've got three transfers this year coming in that come with major pedigree. Jaquan Lyle from Ohio State, Carlton Bragg was at Kansas and Arizona State, and then Vance Jackson from UConn. What can you tell us about these three? kids after the redshirt year excited about all of them uh obviously like you said uh i got here and and started to study you know how can how can we win the mountain west what's it going to take who's the best and all all the signs at the time pointed to nevada so you know study coach musselman how he put his roster together um how he practiced how he did anything read his twitter feed like everybody else printed it off went top to bottom um, I try and schedule like they do now. I mean, they are, uh, they are the premier program in our league. And right now we're all chasing them. And I, I figured if they're doing it, that what, what elements of what they're doing will be really applicable to us because I kind of got the job late and we had so many scholarships last year. I didn't want to just go fill a cupboard with with guys that maybe long-term weren't going to be great fits for us or just fill a roster to fill a roster. So kind of looked across the board and thought, you know what, there's a lot of value potentially in transfers. They're not going to help us in year one. Uh, but overall, if you're just talking about the value of a scholarship and the, the, the proficiency level of the player you're dealing with, these guys have a lot of value. So um, basically went down the road of first getting Vance Jackson. Uh, it, was a, it was a very big recruiting war. And then as the summer wore on, got into one on, on Jaquan Lyle and got him. Uh, and then halfway through this past season, 
when Carlton Bragg became available, it had gone so well with, with Vance and Jaquan, and we had such a kind of credibility now of having these kind of upper echelon, you know, profile guys come here that it became easy. And, and now, you know, we got another one this past summer in, in Zane Martin. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily comparing us to Nevada because they've done way more than we've done, but you know, it, it, it's given us a, a good kind of backboard to, to spring off of where we've got good credibility when we call a transfer or recruit now saying, look, look at the guys that have kind of come before you. So Jaquan's had a tremendous year uh, in the weight room. You know, he came in at a, at a really, really high weight. Uh, he, he's dropped over 30 pounds, uh, really like what he's done and how he's kind of grown. Uh, Vance is a really gifted player. We're still trying to nail down where we're going to play him. Part of the reason I wanted him is, is just because he made 53s as a freshman at UConn, and, and we shoot a ton of threes here. So to add someone of his size and shooting ability was was a perfect fit for us. And he's played a lot of threes since he got here. That That's something I want to continue to do for his, like, growth and development. But he may end up playing some four, you know, before it's all said and done. And Carlton's about halfway through. We're, we're working with the NCAA to see if we can get him eligible to start the season. But as of now, just as a traditional transfer, he'll be eligible midway through. And he's on a very aggressive weight loss program as well. So, you know, him and Jaquan are, are similar in that, you know, we, we train really hard here and, and put a lot of time into that part of it just because we play so fast. We, we spend a lot of time on it. So, you know, it's been a great benefit for Jaquan, and I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that Carlton will have those same benefits. He's already shown some, but he's not all the way along to the degree that I would, I would like. How do you think these three guys are going to mesh with the pieces you have back from obviously a team that, you know, was close to reaching the NCAA tournament? I think that's the beauty of transfers, and I've never really coached. I think I might have had one or two in my career, to be honest with you, and that's the beauty of it is they were playing with us every single day. You know, we play a lot, you know, of live play in our practices. So we scrimmage a lot, and they they were out they were out there every single day playing with our guys in our system competitively um, like a real game officials, you name it. So I think they're as caught up and, and into it as you can possibly be without actually playing in the real game. So they're almost like just having a returner more than anything else. It's the new guys that, you know, haven't been here. We're trying to get caught up. I, I feel really good about obviously the, 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 um, whole experience of going out and playing a game and all that is, you know, represents a lot of different things. But as far as their ability, you know, in a practice setting or just overall in our culture of fitting in, they've had a, a full year of being a part of it. So I feel good about that. New Mexico head coach Paul Weir joining the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. Lobos entering 18-19 with a good amount of momentum. And, Paul, what's the biggest thing about the New Mexico job right now that you didn't know before taking the post? That's a, that's a long answer. Um, I knew – I think everyone knows what the pit is. I think everyone knows how big basketball is um, with the Lobos and how enormous that job is. It's professionally incredibly stimulating. Um, but I don't even know if I knew to the extent Lobo basketball is this community, you know, from top to bottom, whether you're at a coffee shop, 
or the people trying to come to a practice or media or whatever it may be, this community um, is just, it's Lobo basketball and it's 24 seven and it's 365 days a year. And uh, like I said, professionally, it's awesome. It, it is an amazing experience for me to go through um, at my experience, at my age and experience level. I can't tell you how fulfilling it is to have that challenge every day of trying to meet all these different kind of expectations and demands. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, you can talk about it, but going through it is like, wow, this is, this is serious stuff, you know, to, to so many different people from a fan to a student to a politician to a medium. I mean, you name it, every layer of this community, their number one thing is Lobo basketball. And, and until you actually experience it, it's just, it's just, it's all, I guess it's all talk until you go through it. Now, you were an assistant at Iowa under Steve Alford before uh, going to New Mexico State as an assistant. He obviously coached yep. New Mexico. How yeah. much did he influence, you know, your thinking when you were thinking about taking the job, and how much have you used him to springboard some ideas? A ton. Uh, talk to Steve very frequently. Uh, you know, the, the, the drive here for, the, for my, my press conference was about three and a half hours, three hours or so, and I was on the phone with Steve for a majority of it. Um, and he's always been someone I, I deeply admired and, and learned a lot from as a young coach. I'm, I'm blessed to not only have been around a lot of success in my career, but some really good coaches that rubbed off on me. And Steve would be at the top of that list. His ability to, to lead, his ability to manage a culture, um, is exceptional. It's among the best I've ever seen. So to be around that at a young age for me was, was tremendous. And I embody a lot of things that, that I learned back then to this day. And, you know, calling him on different things for affirmation of things or, or just even questioning things is huge. And then when you kind of couple that with his particular knowledge of where I'm at is, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the luckiest guys you can imagine to, to be able to pick up the phone and call someone that, you know, was an amazing coach at the school you're currently at. I don't know how many guys have the ability to do that. So I'm lucky in that way. And I'm also lucky that he takes the time to, you know, help me help this program be the best it can be because he cares. He cares about this place, and I'm, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, and you also have a unique dynamic going on because you're the head coach of New Mexico and you're the head coach of New Mexico State before that, but you've only been a head coach two years. What is it like coaching at one school after a year prior in your first head coaching job? You were coaching at the rival. For sure. No, it, it was a, definitely an interesting Interesting development, interesting experience to kind of go through, um, you know, by, by it, it can, it can get interpreted a lot of different ways. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that have commented on different ways. My, my time at New Mexico state was terrific. I loved it. I enjoyed it. Working for Marvin was awesome. Uh, the, the, the success we had in a lot of different ways was amazing for my own career and my own development. And then, you know, Mario Mocha hired me there uh, to give me an opportunity. And, and I thought, we, you know, we did everything we, we, we could with that team. It was, a, it was an amazing experience all the way around. And then to get the opportunity to come here uh, was just an amazing, you know, uh, step for me as well. And, and I'm, I'm really glad. I'm happy. Um, I love the opportunity I have now. Um, it, 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 it can get interpreted as, you know, a slight towards New Mexico State or, or something of that nature and the people that feel that way, I, I get it. 
um, but it was never intended that way. I, I, I care deeply about New Mexico State. I'm trying to finish up my my second degree from New Mexico State. My uh, my son was born there. I met my wife there. There's a lot of great memories there that I'll always have. I still have a lot of great friends. Me and Mario are still really good friends. Um, but now I'm on to a new chapter that I'm really excited about. And I'm giving it everything I got to try and make it successful here. Um, and that's really all I'm kind of focusing on right now. It gives me a unique perspective in a lot of ways, particularly around the state and things like that. But at the end of the day, I was I was brought here to coach ba- coach a basketball team and be successful. And that's really all I try and spend my time on. My my, my day is about trying to make global basketball great again, and and that's what hopefully we'll be able to do. New Mexico head coach Paul Weir joined the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. You know, one of the things, and I talked about this, you know, in the first segment of this podcast that has really changed in the Mountain West is, you know, until last year, the couple of years prior to that, it seemed like this had become a one-bid league. Now, five and a half years ago, this was a five-bid league, and obviously the way to put yourself in a position to have more teams in the NCAA tournament is to do really well in November and December. What have the scheduling difficulties been like for you as the head coach of New Mexico? And in terms of more key things on the schedule, what do the Lobos have right now ready to go for 18-19 prior to conference play? You know, the first part of that, I, I will say, I think even people in the Mountain West will tell you that, like, historically, the conference, you know, over the past however many years was kind of um, propelled by UNLV, New Mexico, and San Diego State. And I think there was a period there where all three of those programs were at really premier national levels. And for whatever reason, all three of those same programs kind of fell from that around the same time to, to, to varying degrees. But I think all three of those programs may be kind of, um, you know, plateauing a little bit or falling off a little bit, hurt the Mountain West. I'd like to think when you look at the programs now, they're hopefully back on the rise again. And when you add that in with what Leon Rice has been able to do at Boise and, and the consistency with which they've been successful now, obviously, what Coach Musselman's done at Nevada is off the charts, and, and he's really kind of set the bar. I'm hopeful now the Mountain West over the next few years will be able to get back to that status and, and potentially even then some because um, there's just so much potential right now with a lot of these programs, and they all seem to be on a really good trajectory. So that that's kind of exciting. Scheduling is really challenging, and, and, and it's very challenging – um, I think for a lot of mid-majors, I think if you can talk to a lot of non-Power 5 conference coaches, they will all kind of vent their frustration at being able to schedule quality games for their own kind of profiles. And in the Power 5 schools' defense, there's not a lot of motivation for them to schedule those games. They get enough quality games in their own conference schedules they really don't have to do much in the non-conference. There are some of those leagues you can go 500 in and still go to the NCAA tournament. So for their own self-interest, there's no value in going to play a game at Nevada or New Mexico or UNLV or San Diego State or Boise or anybody else because it doesn't. It can really only hurt you. It's going to take a unique person who either wants to do those games, feels like it can help their team in whatever way. This past year, we were super fortunate to be able to conclude a series with Arizona, and I can't even tell you how thankful I am to, to Sean Miller and University of Arizona for, for 
agreeing to schedule the game because it doesn't move the needle for him a lot, but it moves the needle a lot for a program like ourselves. And, and he's done that with a lot of regional programs. And you wish all the Power Five coaches were that way, but they're not. And, and they have their own jobs to do and their own programs to manage. And it just puts a lot of pressure on us to do that, to us to put together really good schedules that are going to put us in a good conversation in March if we don't win the conference tournament. So it's a challenge. I think everyone that's a non-Power 5 school would, would share the same sentiment. You have to be ultra-creative, ultra-flexible, um, and just be kind of waiting and, and aggressively pursuing all the opportunities you can to put together the best schedule you can. And what do you have on the books right now or that you can share for next season that you think are obviously some marquee opportunities that you're going to look to in an effort to move the needle? Yeah, so we started a series with Colorado last year. Uh, so they'll be returning back to um, to the pit this year. Which anytime you you know you can place someone from a from a Power Five conference, I think you have to have that. Um, so that that's a big one for us. Uh, we're finishing up the Missouri Valley Challenge. So we will be going to Bradley, and they're expected to be a very good team. So I think um, that's another exciting game. Uh, we set up a neutral site game with St. Mary's at the Staples Center, a part of a, a really good triple header. So, again, a really quality opponent and a, and a, and a great venue to play in. Uh, we play New Mexico State every year, and they're obviously a tremendous basketball program. And Coach Sands has come in and done an amazing job there. So to have them on the schedule – is, is huge, you know, for us because that's already built in, not something that we have to go out and, and kind of recruit around or whatever. Uh, Rodney Terry's at UTEP now, and I think the world of Rodney Terry, I think he's going to do uh unbelievable job at UTEP. I think people will be blown away by how good of a job UTEP is and, and what he's about to do at that job there. And we're starting off a four-year series. So Coach Floyd was actually the one that did it, and I'm, I'm really thankful he did. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll be able to kind of schedule with them going forward in the long term. We're, we're going after as many of those kinds of regional teams as we can. We call them all the time, seeing if they'd be kind of willing to start some series. Uh, we, we did an exhibition game with BYU last year. I'm hopeful that in time we'll be able to schedule something more consistently on the schedule as well as kind of all the other teams in the region. And then right now we're, we're still finishing up our current schedule, and part of the reason it's taken so long is we're just swinging on, on as many good series opportunities as we can and trying to find some quality opponents that right now are looking for a home game and it's, it's getting a little late and maybe they'd be willing to play us in return to coming back to the pit the following year. Because getting good quality opponents here at the pit is something we owe our fans. We have an amazing fan base uh, with incredible history to it. And, and I want to try and deliver with them on as many quality home opponents as we can uh, just to reward them for all their all their kind of service to our team and our community. Well, and another good thing for the Mountain West next year is you're going to have a top 10 team in your league. So those games where you play Nevada in conference game is going to be an opportunity to move the needle nationally. You've been doing this a long time. You were an assistant in the Big Ten. We've talked about it. When you just look at what Nevada has coming back and what they had sitting out, and obviously they're bringing in some new pieces as well with headline by the McDonald's All-American, how high of a ceiling do you see for the Wolfpack moving forward next year 
They're incredible. I, I don't even know what else to say. It's a, it's a great roster. They have set the bar in our conference at as high a level. Um, I obviously haven't been in it very long, but as high a level as, as I can remember as far as going into a season with expectations, with credibility, with a past, and obviously a very, very bright future. So um, it, it, it's really on all of us in the Mountain West to be trying to catch up to what they're doing to make our conference the best it can be um, based on what they were able to do last year, based on how good I know the players are that are coming back. Um, the Martin brothers, Jordan Carolina, you can go down the list of just the players I got to go or we got to go against and how talented they are and to bring those kind of guys back as fourth and fifth year seniors and all that other kind of stuff. I mean, they're, they're good and they're old and experienced and now they're deep and uh, it's outside of the games they play us. Um, Obviously we're wishing them all the best, you know, not only for our league, but, but to have the opportunity to play someone of that caliber, um, you know, we, we, we cheer them on. So um, hopefully they'll be able to continue to carry the torch through non-conference to give our, our conference games and not just me, but everybody's conference games uh, more meaningfulness with regards to, you know, creating a good profile for uh, NCAA tournament time. Well, it's always going to add a little intrigue when you have a top 10 team in your league. There's no doubt about that. All right, for New Mexico, we've talked a little bit about your transfers. Other than those three guys, what do you think are the biggest keys to the Lobos being a team that can push a Nevada, can push a San Diego State at the top of the league? You know, at the end of the day, we, we shoot a lot of threes. We broke a school record for threes last year. We broke a school record for points scored in a season. You know, we did a lot of things offensively that, you know, people talked about our press and our style of play. It wasn't just a defensive style of play. It wasn't just a pressure, create turnover kind of team, and we did some good things in that area. It was also an offensive team that played equally as fast, spread the floor, and shot a lot of threes. So I'm excited because we're bringing back such good three-point shooters. Anthony Mathis was our best three-point shooter last year, and he'll be back for our senior year. And then, you know, we talked about Vance and, and adding the shooting that we've added. I think we're going to be able to shoot the ball, if not better than last year, which will allow our offense to be really, really good. And, you know, can you go into some of these teams and, and these great teams and, and beat them four out of seven or, or three out of five or whatever it may be? I don't know. But on one game, on one night, if we're pressing and our style of play is really impacting the game and we're making threes, we feel as though we should be able to go into any game and, and have a shot that night. Now, you can't always control whether those, those shots go down or not or how games unfold. But, you know, we're just trying to position ourselves to continue to build off last year, continue to promote the brand of basketball we're playing, you know, get our get our attendance up, get our just overall excitement around the program, continue to progress it. And offensively, that's where a lot of those guys, I think, are, are going to help us do that. It's not just a, a defensive game for us. All right. Well, Paul, appreciate a couple of minutes. It was good to catch up. Uh, excited to cover your team and uh, best of luck starting out, you know, fall workouts and practice coming up in a couple of weeks. No problem, man. I know you go to all those practices, but you are welcome anytime you want out here. Just say the word. <laughs>
We'd like to thank New Mexico head coach Paul Weir for joining the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. want to remind you to subscribe to the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein on iTunes. We want to be your Bible for the college basketball season and beyond. We are the only college basketball podcast coming to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. Also want to remind you to check out the College Hoops Today fan page on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a review. Let us know what you think of the product we're bringing to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. And today's episode of the College Hoops Today podcast is brought to you by Geico. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. All it takes is 15 minutes to find out if you could save 15% or more on car insurance. And Geico offers coverage for more than just car insurance. Got a motorcycle? Geico's got you covered. Got an RV? Covered. Got a boat? Covered. How about homeowners or renters insurance? You bet Geico's got you covered. Go to Geico.com today and see how much you could save. That's Geico.com. And time now for our social media portion of the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. Send me your questions on Twitter. I'm at John Rothstein. That's John, J-O-N. And he goes by the name of Flosan23, and that is the first question. It says, John, what do you think Nevada's biggest weakness will be? Because we know they're the class of the Mountain West this year. Well, Flosan, this right now is going to be the biggest weakness, or I should say the biggest challenge for Eric Musselman. Can he get all these transfers that were sitting out, and he had five of them, I believe, that were sitting out, and we'll get to their names in a bit, Nisrae Zuza, obviously, Chaz Johnson, also the kid from Wagner, who I know a lot of people out in Reno like, Corey Ensign. Can all these guys right now put aside their own individual agendas and sacrifice for the good of the team because you know the Martin twins are starting you know Jordan Caroline's starting you know Jordan Brown's probably going to start and you know Trey Porter's probably going to start can all the guys that went to Nevada and sat out with the intention being that the Martin twins and probably Jordan Caroline were going to leave make themselves into the best bench players they can be to me that's the million dollar question right now in Reno our next question is going to come from Aztecs fan and it's how can you not have Jalen McDaniels on your first team All-Mountain West team? Now, I have not released that yet, but already people are getting obviously excited about this. And look, I'm going to go through it right now before we give you the actual list-by-list breakdown. Three kids on Nevada have to be on the first team. You have the Martin Twins, you have Jordan Caroline. You also have Shakur Justin at UNLV, who averaged 14 and 10 last year. First player in the Mountain West since Andrew Boga was at Utah to do so. You also have a talented player at Wyoming that not a lot of people know. Okay, he's one of the better players that people don't know in the country, and Justin James, who averaged over 19 points and six rebounds. And look, I understand that the San Diego State fan wants to see Jalen McDaniels. You know, on a first team All Mountain West team, and he should probably should be. And when you look at the end of the year, if his obvious progression continues, but here's the thing. When I'm making my Mountain West preseason first team, I'm not looking at the best NBA prospect. I am not looking at somebody who entered the 2018 NBA draft without an agent. I am looking at people who have produced and produced consistently at the high major level. Jalen McDaniels has had moments, and you know a lot of people throw out the term mid-major, so on and so forth. I do not count the, the Mountain West, just like I don't count the Atlantic 10 as a true mid-major. It's in between mid-major and high-major. But with all that said, I look at these other guys, Caleb Martin, Cody Martin, Jordan Caroline, Shakur Houston, Justin James, as being more proven commodities in terms of their production at the collegiate level versus Jalen McDaniels. And I understand that's frustrating as a San Diego State fan, but as I've learned to know covering this sport, putting my opinions out there. Not all fans are rational. That's just the way of life. Now, let's get to my Mountain West offseason power rankings. 
John's Mountain West Power Rankings. Power Rankings. Nevada 1, San Diego State 2, New Mexico 3, Boise 4, Colorado State, UNLV, Fresno, Wyoming, Utah State, Air Force, San Jose State. A lot of coaches in the league like Colorado State to be a big-time player under first-year head coach Nico Medved. Now, time for my sleeper. John's Mountain West Sleeper. Going with Fresno State, first-year head coach Justin Hudson, one of the best players in the league back into Sean Taylor. Also, several good transfers. Look for Fresno State as a potential sleeper. Now for the aforementioned Mountain West preseason first team. John's Mountain West preseason first team. Caleb Martin, Cody Martin, Jordan Caroline, Shakur Justin, UNLV, Justin James, Wyoming. Now time for my Mountain West Preseason Player of the Year. John's Mountain West Preseason Player of the Year. Caleb Martin, Nevada, and he's not just, to me, a guy who's going to be the Player of the Year in the Mountain West. He's a guy who's a chance to be a first-team All-American. Time now for my impact transfers. John's transfers to watch in the Mountain West. All right, five coming from Nevada. Trey Porter, Nizre Zuza, also Jazz Johnson, Corey Henson, and Trey Thurman. Three from New Mexico we just talked about with Paul Weir, Jaquan Lyle, Vance Jackson, Carlton Bragg, Roderick Williams, a Juco import at Boise State, and Braxton Huggins at Fresno State. Braxton Huggins, very good a couple of years ago for New Mexico State when the Aggies lost in the NCAA tournament to Baylor. Now again, Six degrees of separation. Who was the head coach that year at New Mexico State? Paul Weir. Braxton Huggins, 13-7 in 16-17 at New Mexico State. Time now to look at the impact freshman. John's freshman to watch in the Mountain West. Jordan Brown from Nevada, as well as K.J. Himes. Ed Chang from San Diego State. And then two at UNLV, Bryce Hamilton and Trey Woodbury. Time now for some breakout guys. Mountain West breakout players for next season. Going with Jordan Shackle at San Diego State, Makuach Malawach from New Mexico, Travell Beck from UNLV, Nico Carvacho at Colorado State, and Alex Hobbs from Boise State. We'd like to thank New Mexico head coach Paul Weir for joining the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. And I know this is a Mountain West related show. And I know that Duke was playing against below ACC competition in Canada, but I do want to say this. Three things that stood out from this trip. R.J. Barrett, an effortless score, going to be a first-team All-American asleep. Zion Williamson is a linebacker on roller skates. He is appointment television. Other people may be more productive. Other people in college basketball may be more fluid in, in the sense. But Zion Williamson, at 6'7", and roughly 250 pounds, maybe more, is in a situation, in my opinion where you have a player who, if he's playing and you don't watch him, you're pretty much admitting that you hate fun. And I was really impressed with Javon Delorier, not so much Marquise Bolden, emerging as potentially that intangible frontcourt player for Duke next to their incoming freshman. Again, we'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, as well as the College Hoops Day podcast with John Rothstein.